Hello and welcome to the European Respiratory Journal podcast. My name is James Chalmers. I'm the Deputy Chief Editor of the European Respiratory Journal, and I'm very pleased to be joined today by Professor Alan Maurice from Hull, uh, who's going to be talking to us about the new ERS guidelines for cough. Welcome, Alan. Thank you, James. I'd like to point out that I'm the Chief Editor of the European Respiratory Journal Open, which I would encourage everybody to uh, sign up to because it's a great journal. Not quite as good as the ERJ yet. Well, we we appreciate that. And it is lovely to have uh, our fellow editors on the, the, the ERJ podcast this week. Uh, I'm going to start by asking you just to give our listeners the key takeaway messages from the ERS guidelines for chronic cough. Key messages are firstly that chronic cough we now view as a disease in its own right. Uh, so that previously we were looking for the disease that caused the cough. But if you turn it on its head, that cough is the disease with different phenotypes or endotypes, whatever you want to call it, then we have a situation where the patient understands what's wrong with them and the doctor understands what's wrong with them because the basic pathophysiology is a hypersensitivity of the vagal afferents. And that's why they get the tickle and why when they get exposed to cold air, strong smells, bleaches, perfumes, that sort of thing, that can trigger the coughing. It's a hypersensitivity syndrome of the vagal afferents. That's the first point. Second point is that many people investigate chronic cough looking for a chest disease as the main cause, when in fact, of course, you can't actually see vagal hypersensitivity. So unnecessary investigations are done then the patient gets discouraged, goes to another practitioner and gets the same investigations done over and again. So there's an enormous waste of healthcare resources there in these unnecessary investigations. And finally, the last point is that it's an extremely exciting time for cough because we have some new drugs in development which actually work and work extremely well in the clinical trials done so far. So that that's a great summary of, of some of the new things in the ERS guideline. I'm going to touch on each of those points as we go through the, the podcast. Why don't we start with the investigations? So what are, what are the key investigations for a patient presenting with chronic cough? And continuing that, particularly, does everybody with a, a chronic cough need to have a CT scan, for example? Yes, it's a uh, an important point there, James. Um, but of course, as I was taught at medical school, the most important thing is the history. So most diagnoses are made on the history and it's a question of asking the right questions at the time. So uh, one of the indicators for uh, chronic cough hypersensitivity is a voice change, for example, and uh, other things like the positional nature of the cough. Patients uh, get the cough when they bend over or when they lie down, when they go to sleep at night. But when they're actually off to sleep, they hardly call, uh, cough at all because of the increased vagal tone. Um, and then they have a coughing attack as they get out of bed in the morning. Uh, so these points in the history, which are often not ignored or even not asked. So one of the uh, key findings is that they have a, um, some of them have a nasty taste in the mouth, which they often describe as metallic or like blood. And it's not the inhalers that are causing this. It's a non-acid reflux, which is probably the cause of that uh, horrible taste uh, that they get. This is all codified in a questionnaire, which is recommended in the guidelines. It's the HARC questionnaire, H-A-R-Q, and it's available on website 
in, in the guidelines and in about 25 different languages, uh, both European and uh, from across the world. So just doing that questionnaire and all of my patients get it before they see me and that helps me with the history. Uh, I can then direct the questions to ask them about coughing with meals, for example, or, or whatever. So history is the key to making the initial diagnosis. Then absolutely obligatory is a chest x-ray. Uh, and I still get patients referred who've had a cough for six months and have not had a chest x-ray. Um, minor changes we allow, but uh, on occasions you get a big surprise. Someone's got some form of bronchiectasis, which was not really recognized because they haven't had much sputum production. So a chest x-ray is ab absolutely obligatory. And of course, spirometry is an absolutely uh, obligatory investigation. And the third thing that you should look for is eosinophilic disease, because that can help with the therapy. Uh, eosinophils respond to steroids of one sort or another, either inhaled or oral. So we recommend a trial of inhaled steroids, but the clue in uh, the uh, investigation of the patient is to look either at the historical blood counts. So in some hospitals, you have blood counts going back the last five years, and you can see a persistent eosinophilia indicating eosinophilic bronchitis. So very simple measures like that can give you a strong uh, push in one direction uh, as to what the etiology of the cough is, uh, which phenotype of cough they have. Um, but then you go on to, uh, because we are mostly respiratory physicians, people will then do a CT scan. And in fact, the CT scan, as always, may reveal minor abnormalities, and then you have to investigate further. But the minor abnormalities are not the cause of the cough, if you've taken the history correctly. Very rarely do I do a CT scan, only in the presence of crackles, for example, on examination, would I consider doing a, a CT scan. Um, the other thing that people are addicted to is methacholine challenge, or Osmahale and to show bronchial hyperreactivity, not hypersensitivity, but hyperreactivity of the smooth muscle. And really, that doesn't diagnose asthma. And certainly in my practice, uh, I haven't done that sort of test for a good 10 years now. So it's a very simple uh, diagnostic algorithm. Take a decent history, do a few simple investigations, and then we recommend in the guidelines therapeutic trials. Yeah, and so obviously the all of that uh, attempt at bronchial hyperresponsiveness testing now is is replaced by the idea of just therapeutic trials of inhaled corticosteroid, which um, correct as you as you say is what many people have been doing for years. Um, yep. The guidelines now give very clear guidance on that. Absolutely, and it, it's all evidence-based. We've done it according to the PICO and GRADE system. Um, but unlike other guidelines in the recent past, we've actually included a narrative section. So it's much more fun to read than it is just answering the questions, which I must say I find confusing uh, when I look at your own bronchiectasis guidelines, James. Well, obviously, I think that that's a, a work of very fine art, uh, <laughs> Professor Maurice, but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not going to get into a battle of whose guideline is best on the, uh, the ERJ podcast. Of course. Um, of course. <laughs> the, um, uh, one of the experiences we certainly had in the bronchiectasis guidelines is that um, some topics are very controversial and the panel doesn't always agree. Yeah. Uh, and that sometimes points to the areas where we need to do more research. 
So I'm, I'm interested in what were the most controversial areas in the, the chronic cough guideline. Well, in, in the presentation at um, uh, Madrid, which was attended by over 1,200 delegates on a th uh, Tuesday afternoon as well, uh, it was the degree to which you investigate. Some people are fixated with the idea that it must be purely a chest disease rather than the disease of the vagus nerve um, and neuropathy type process, although I don't like the term neuropathy, it infers dying nerves rather than hypersensitive nerves. And the reason why we're so certain that of the, of the uh, hypersensitivity aspect is that the drugs which are currently in development, uh, four of them are blockers of the ATP receptor, P2X3, and they can produce a dramatic improvement in cough just tackling the neuronal hypersensitivity. So it's in many ways, it's like irritable bowel syndrome where the patient has some abnormalities uh, in the gut, but it's the hypersensitivity that gives them all these horrible symptoms. The second point there to make really is that often people dismiss the cough as being a, a minor feature. Some of my patients are in tears because I say to them, you're hypersensitive, do you mean I'm not mad, doctor? Because people have been dismissing them as being neurotic or whatever. These poor people, these poor ladies mainly, because two-thirds of them are, are women, uh, these poor ladies suffer enormously. They can't go out, can't go to the cinema, can't go to the church or the synagogue. It's, a, it's an absolute nightmare. Their lives are ruined by this chronic cough. And if we can intervene uh, with the, these relatively simple measures that I'm talking about, and actually explain it to them, then there is a great relief all around. Absolutely. And uh, I think I've seen data suggesting that the quality of life impairment in patients with chronic cough is equivalent to advanced malignancy and, and other diseases that yes, like hepatic pulmonary fibrosis. See, uh, it's severe COPD. Cynthia French is the first author on that paper. Yeah, so this it's clearly this is a, a topic that's very important and needs to be taken very seriously. But because uh, or professionals don't, some professionals don't understand the, the hypersensitivity aspect, uh, they dismiss the patient out of, I think, fear of their own insecurity because they don't understand it. And they tend to diminish the idea that the patient is suffering, which they are indeed, uh, and uh, it's only a cough you know, learn to live with it, which is disgraceful in my view. Yeah, hope, hopefully I think that's changing now as as the awareness gets greater of, of the true pathophysiology of this condition. Yeah. I, I want to move on to probably the most widely used drugs in the world for chronic cough, arguably would be proton pump inhibitors. I see yeah. so many of these patients being prescribed proton pump inhibitors but they're not recommended in the guidelines. So I, I just hoped you would talk us through the, the thinking and the evidence there. Yes, it's not quite as simple as that, James. Proton pump inhibitors do not treat reflux. They treat acid. They are brilliant at blocking acid. And peptic symptoms caused by acid, such as heartburn, are dramatically affected by proton pump inhibitors. But in fact, when you're on a proton pump inhibitor, you reflux just as much as you do when you're off a PPI, it just converts acid reflux into non-acid reflux. And it's the non-acid reflux component which uh, is the irritant when it reaches the uh, territory of the vagus nerve in the oesophagus, in the larynx, and in the upper airways. 
uh, that causes the irritation which causes the cough. The irritation is secondary to the nervous hypersensitivity. So two good randomized controlled trials show that there is no effect of proton pump inhibitors on chronic cough in the absence of severe heartburn. We do say that if you've got severe heartburn, then proton pump inhibitors should be given. But there is no excuse for given, giving routine proton pump inhibitors uh, to patients with, even if you suspect a reflux cough, it does not work. And it actually may increase the amount of aspiration. Um, and so may actually be dangerous to give out high dose proton pump inhibitors for long term treatment uh, in this condition. Well, that, that's very clear. Um, but I guess as we get towards the, the end of the podcast, I'm going to invite you to take a look forward to the next guidelines in five years, because I've seen you, you regularly update these guidelines, which is great. There's a lot of developments at the moment in terms of new therapies in cough. Where do, where do you see we're going to be in about five years? Well, the almost accidental serendipitous uh, discovery that blocking the ATP receptor, by the P2X3 receptor, abolishes the cough in uh, majority of patients. One of the drugs, gefepixent, is just finishing phase three studies and will be out there in about a year's time, we hope. But there are three other companies involved in uh, bringing forward these drugs and the more highly selective drugs appear to have very little of the taste disturbance, which is a, a problem with gefepixent. And in the future, I think this will dramatically um, change the way we look at respiratory disease. So patients who have asthma but have a severe cough will be treated with additional therapy for their asthmatic cough uh, with these P2X3 uh, antagonists. But also there is blockers of substance P, neurokinin receptor antagonists, one of which has been shown to be highly uh, effective in uh, reducing the uh, patient reported outcomes in, uh, in chronic cough. So we have a, uh, at least two therapeutic pathways which were unknown in um, the literature until very recently. So in five years time, hopefully we will have the good, highly uh, controlled, randomized controlled trials showing these drugs to be effective. And it will open the floodgate to allow us both in asthma, in bronchiectasis, in cystic fibrosis, and in uh, IPF to treat patients' major symptom, which is the cough. So very exciting times for cough, very exciting new therapeutic development. Uh, and it's great that you've been able to join us today to discuss these uh, developments and the, the, the current guidelines for cough. The uh, ERS guidelines uh, for the management of chronic cough are now online in the European Respiratory Journal in this month's issue. So all of the guidelines from the ERS are made open access, so you can log in and look at those guidelines. Uh, please do so and please uh, put into practice some of the lessons that we've discussed today for the management of your patients with chronic cough. Thank you very much, Alan, for uh, joining us. And I give you the last word, uh, anything uh, you'd like to say to sign off to our listeners. Think cough. It's an important disease. And I want to see us develop this area, therapeutic area, into a major new contribution to respiratory medicine. Fantastic. Thank you very much for joining us for the ERS podcast. We'll see you next month. See you.